is we usually in 1 Corinthians, but we're going to uh, take a break from that this morning. Today is what's known as Reformation Sunday. Of course, Tuesday being the 31st is actually Reformation Day, and you thought it was Halloween, didn't you? But it's actually Reformation Day. And so this morning, I want us to look at uh, what it was that the Reformation was about. How can a man be right with God? Someone has said that, imagine going to church and never hearing the gospel. That's why the Reformation was important. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. This is at the heart of the Reformation. How can a man be made right with God? How can a man be justified in the sight of God? In justification, God declares sinners to be right in His sight. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone, for one purpose. What is that purpose? To the glory of God alone. So this morning, and, and here in Romans chapter 5, now Paul spent the majority of chapter 3 and 4 telling us about justification and what it is and how it came to be. And, and in justification, God forgives the sins of His people and imputes the righteousness of Christ to us solely on the basis of the sinless life and atoning death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One thing that the Reformation did was to show us once again that salvation is not about us. It's not about me having a better life. It's not about me becoming a better man. The, the salvation is about Christ being glorified. It's about Him. And so the, the imputed righteousness that, G, that in, in salvation and when we are justified in the sight of God, God takes my sin and lays it on Christ, takes His righteousness and lays it on me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him who knew no sin, that's Christ, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That one verse has the gospel in it. And that's what justification does. Justification is a one-time act of God. Scripture is clear that we are justified by faith alone. In Christ alone. Now that word alone makes all the world a difference. Over in the book of Galatians, <clears throat> in chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in in." In Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, here's, here's the thing. This is such a simple 
teaching right here, simple doctrine right here. When we understand that we cannot earn God's favor. We cannot merit God's favor. We have been justified freely by His grace. Look at chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans. Paul says, therefore, having been justified, how? By faith. By simply trusting in the Word of God and what He has said. And once God accepts a sinner on the basis of the imputed righteousness of Christ, that person can never lose their right standing before God. In Romans 5, Paul discusses the consequences. This is what we're going to look at mostly this morning. We're going to look at the consequences of being freely justified, being right in the sight of God. How can a man be made right with God? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's the only way. And we do that by faith. But in Romans 5, Paul discusses the consequences of justification. Uh, he talks about the peace of God or peace with God, our joy and suffering, our access to God. We are prone to forget these privileges. And so we must appropriate them in our thoughts and our practices. It's so easy I myself have been guilty of this more times than I can count. We are so prone to fall into this works-related righteousness that God will, He has accepted me, but He will keep on accepting me as long as I keep going to church or as long as I read my Bible or as long as I do good works. That's not biblical. But it's easy for us to fall into that works-based mentality of thinking that as long as I do this, as long as I don't do that, then I'm all right with God. When what we have to understand is this. Now look, we were created for good works. We are to do good works, not in order to be saved because we're already saved. Not in order to stay saved because our salvation is secured in Christ. Listen, here's the thing. Any people that tell me you can lose your salvation are putting their trust in themselves, not in Christ. We trust in the finished work of Christ. And Paul says here in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first of these uh Privileges that we have being justified is that we have peace. Now, true peace is a fruit of the gospel. It's a result of a life of faith. We typically think of peace as an emotional state. But in Scripture, it is first an objective status, a condition. Now, why is it important that we understand that we have peace with God? I mean, doesn't God love everybody? The Bible does not teach that. But I mean, ultimately, doesn't everybody get to go to heaven? The Bible does not teach that. Why? You know that, that, that the psalmist said that God is angry with the wicked every single day. 
We, without Christ, are God's enemies. Look at verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. But the point that we see there is we were at one time God's enemies. Outside of Christ, you are God's enemy. Under abiding under the wrath of God. But peace and reconciliation are consequences of being justified. When God the judge justifies sinners, he then becomes our friend. He becomes our friend. You know, one of the greatest things ever said about anybody in the Bible outside the Lord Jesus Christ was when Abraham was called a friend of God. Wouldn't you like to know somebody to say that? They're a friend of God. Wouldn't you like to have God say it? That's my friend. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he says, I don't call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing. He said, but I call you friends. So this peace that we have, this peace that comes, this reconciliation between us and God, when we were enemies, we have been reconciled to him and we have been justified. And so uh, once Jesus has atoned for our sin and forgiven us, we are reconciled and we have peace. There's no more running from God, no more hiding from God. There in the Garden of Eden, when God placed Adam and Eve there, and every day God would come and they would walk together through the garden. They would fellowship together through the garden. But then one day something drastic happened. They sinned. And when God, he still came to the garden looking for them. And you know what they did? They ran and hid. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. They tried to hide from God. But And every single human being on the planet since that day, that's what they are all doing. They're running from God. They're hiding from God. But when we have been justified freely by His grace and we have been rec uh, reconciled to God, there is no more running, no more hiding. I don't have to hide. Listen, I sin. We all sin every day. But when I sin, I need to run to Christ, confess that sin, repent of that sin. And He says, done. But often we run from God. We run from Him and try to hide from Him. But we need not fear judgment or rejection from God once we have been justified freely by His grace. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter uh, 32, verses 15 through 18, he says, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and it has been, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful orchard, and the fruitful orchard is counted as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and the righteous righteousness will live in the fruitful orchard. And the works of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness, and security forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful abode and in secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places. Usually, when we think of the word peace, we think of an absence of conflict. 
But that's not what it's talking about. See, we have peace with God. There's no more conflict between the two of us. Now, in this world, Jesus told us, he said, you're going to have trouble. Paul said, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. So if we think that having peace with God means that nothing bad will ever happen to us, that's not what we're talking about here. But nothing bad will ever happen to us in relation to me and God. That's all that matters. And so, like every other spiritual benefit, peace comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. Jesus said, I give you peace. I, I think about Jesus as he's there asleep in the boat. And there's a storm. And the disciples are scared to death. They're fearing for their life. They're over there with buckets, bailing water, and he's up there asleep. You know, John nudges Peter, said, you reckon we ought to wake him up? Maybe he can do something. So they go and they say, Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? You know, and I can just picture Jesus standing up and stretching. What's going on, guys? While the boat is rocking and the storms and... He said, why are you fearful? And it says he raised his hand. And you know what the first word was he said? Peace, be still. And immediately, it was calm. What made the difference? The presence of Christ. And when we have been justified freely by his grace, and we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is with us. He is in us, and it makes all the difference. And so there, there, there is now between you and me no more enmity between us and God because Christ, who is our advocate, has stood in the, in the gap, and he has reconciled us to God. And peace is a result of that. I can have peace with God. You realize how wonderful that is? To know that God no longer holds any sin against me. That there is nothing that can ever separate me from God. And we have peace. Look at verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God. We have access to God. Justification gives us this access. To have access to God is to stand before God without fear. The writer to the Hebrews says, let us come boldly. Let us approach boldly to the throne of grace to find help in a time of need. Now, when he says boldly, it doesn't mean that I stomp in there and I say, okay, God, here I am. Now you do what I want. When he says boldly, it means that I can approach God without fear, without reservation. You know why? He's my father. And I have peace. There's peace between us because we have been reconciled through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace, we can stand calmly before God. God, who is the supreme judge, and, and he surveys all of our life, and he sees that we're guilty of many sins. But we have an advocate. 
It is Jesus Christ the righteous. He declares us guilt-free because he bore the punishment for our sin. Ephesians 3.12 says, uh, In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Boldly and confidently I can approach the throne of grace. When I go to God in prayer, when I go to God in worship, I can boldly approach. I don't have to be timid. I don't have to be afraid. This is my Father. And as I said, Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can stand before God without fear, whether in worship or in prayer, despite our sin, because we have been freely justified by the blood of Christ. Do you understand what a wonderful thing this is? That you and I, because we have been freely justified, can approach our Father anytime, anywhere. With confidence, the Bible says. I can be confident. I can boldly approach Him. I don't have to be afraid. It's not a performance-based salvation. My access to God is not based on what I do or don't do, other than my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, someday, folks, I, and I hope all of you, will one day stand before the Almighty God. And if He were to say to me, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you enjoy the joys of heaven for eternity. My only answer is I point at Christ and say because of Him. That's the only answer. We can stand before God without fear, whether in worship or in prayer, because we have been justified freely by the blood of Christ. So the finished work of Christ opens the door to the Father. Now here's the thing. Do we believe in the finished work of Christ? Do we believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? Do we believe that he truly is and was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do I truly believe that on the cross Jesus bore my sin, every one of them? Do we believe Jesus when he said, it is finished? It is done. It is accomplished. Tetelestai. It is finished. Do we believe that? If we believe that, then we will know that we can boldly approach the throne and have peace with God. Isn't that wonderful? Look at verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> and not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character hope, and hope does not put to shame, because, listen, this is great right here. Looking at verse 5, and hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. But there in verses 3 and 4, we see that the third fruit of justification is joy. Joy, even in the midst of hardship. Do you have joy in your heart today? 
Listen, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness depends on what happens to you. You know, I wasn't very happy last night when the Rangers got thoroughly beat. I'll be very happy today when the Cowboys win. Maybe <laughs> me lay hands on you. <laughs> but listen, folks, it doesn't matter what happens. There can be joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Joy comes from knowing God. Joy comes from knowing that I can, uh, can approach my Father anytime freely, that I can boldly approach. Joy comes from knowing every sin I've ever committed or ever will commit is gone. And Paul says, not only this, but we boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. But we have joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Endurance. To be able to sustain in the midst of our troubles. When Paul mentions that suffering produces perseverance or endurance, he has more in mind than just whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That's not what he's talking about. Paul wants us to see that the goal of life is not to find pleasure, but to gain maturity and endurance. We aim for more than just painlessness. There are many things in this world that bring us pain and sorrow and grief and hurt. But Paul says, look, in the midst of those, you can have joy. A joy that surpasses anything we've ever known. God fashions endurance through our troubles. Our response to trials reflects our heart's condition. Our trials and our troubles can produce hope because they teach us to rely on God. God doesn't want me to rely on my own performance or my works. He wants me to rely on Him. And anything that causes me to look at myself instead of Him, He's going to weed out. And that's where the trials and troubles come in. The discipline of God. The discipline of a loving Father. But that's why Paul could say in Romans 8, 28, For we know. That word know is very important. That word know carries with it confidence. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, I looked up that word all in my Greek dictionary. And you know what that word literally means? It means all. That's exactly what it means. It means all, everything. Now, we look at it. That doesn't say that everything that happens to us is going to be good because it's quite clear from the Word of God and from our own experience that we have more bad than we do good in our lives. You know, Job said, man is born to trouble. But God is telling, Paul here is saying, look, here is the promise of being justified freely by His grace. He says, you have peace with God. And that, that, that peace brings joy. It brings endurance. And it means that no matter what comes into your life, 
And by the way, we believe in the providence of God. It's taught right here in the Bible. We believe in the sovereignty of God. Listen, there is not one thing, not one single second of my life that God has not ordained. You know, God doesn't look down and say, oh, wait, what happened? I didn't know that was going to happen. He not only knew it was going to happen, he ordained it to happen. No matter what it is. And, and, and when we face times of trials and troubles in our life and grief and, and, and we hurt so bad and we say, God, how can you let this happen to me? And he says, I'm going to make all things work together for good. Trust me. You know, Job, perfect picture. Job's just going about minding his own business worshiping God, loving God, doing everything he could to please God. And one day, Satan comes before God and says, God says, where you been? He said, oh, you know, walking around. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, you ever thought about what God just did? He painted a bullseye on Job's back. Who did that? God did. Satan didn't even know who Job was until God told him. And then we all know the story. God let, he had to get permission. Satan had to get permission from God before he could touch Job in any kind of way. But through all of this, you go through the book of Job and you see that Job is saying, you know what? I cursed the day I was born. I wish it never happened. And Job begins to question and say, what have I done? What did, what, what's going on? And do you know at what point God finally explains to Job what's going on? None. He never did. Now, I'm sure now Job knows. But throughout all of that, even at his, his life for so many years after this was all over with, Job never knew what was going on. But he didn't have to. But we see that God was working all things together for his good. And God's glory. And Paul here, that's what he's saying. When we have been freely justified and we have peace with God and there's joy and there's endurance. And he says endurance produces character and character cannot exist without active perseverance. Remember, okay, listen, don't ever lose sight of this right here. The goal is to be like Christ. The goal is not to make you prosper or healthy. The goal is to make you holy, to be like Christ. And when we keep that in mind, and everything that comes to me, I may walk out of this church today and face one of the most terrible tragedies I've ever had in my life. And I can stand back and say, God, I don't understand, but I trust and that's what we call, and this is what happens. God, listen, when we understand that everything that happens to us in our life is for the purpose of making me like Christ, it relieves a lot of anxiety about it. And Paul says, remember this. And then in verse 5, he says, and hope does not put to shame because 
The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The verb there poured is this, it's in the active sense. Uh, it, it, it's not a one-time thing. It's something that is continuous. As, as are many of the verbs in chapter 5, we have access to God. That's a constant, ongoing thing. We stand by grace before Him. That's an active, ongoing thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's something that goes on. And these indicate a permanent status that rests in the completed work of Christ. Do you believe Jesus accomplished what he came to do? Do you know what proof we have that Jesus accomplished his work? It's not when he said it is finished. It's when he rose from the dead. As somebody has well said, the resurrection of Christ was God's amen to Jesus saying, it is finished. He's alive. Look, folks, I want to tell you something. Muhammad's dead. His bones are rotting in his grave. Buddha is dead, and his bones rot in his grave. The leaders of every religion in the history of the world, they will die and be gone. But Jesus lives. And it's because of this, we have hope. And we are free to own the peace, the access, the joy that belongs to us through our justification. You know, in one sense, Romans 5, 1 through 5 begins and ends with love. It's God's love that led him to redeem us. And his love, Paul says, is being poured out into our hearts. This is a daily ongoing thing. Daily, God's pouring his love into our hearts. In verse 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates his own Lord love to us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, God didn't say, now you clean yourself up and then I'll save you. By the way, if you're not, you should be very glad that he didn't say that. Because if he had, none of us would be saved. But while we were still sinners, every believer is God's beloved. Even though we can be selfish and petulant and cruel, even though there is still sin that runs rampant in our lives, God loves His children. And that love is being poured out constantly. We have peace with God and stand before Him joyfully, ready to grow in character and hope all through the work of Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit whom the Father has given us. Have you ever thanked God for giving you the Holy Spirit? He's a gift. He's God. And Paul here is saying, look, if you have been freely justified by faith in Christ, you have been declared righteous in the sight of God. Declared not guilty. Now, there's no more enmity between you 
and God. You can freely approach the throne and have peace with God. You can do it joyfully. You can do it boldly. And everything that happens to you in this life is pointing toward a day when not only will we, will we be declared righteous, we will be made righteous. You know, I love what John MacArthur said about getting to heaven. He says, you know what excites me, what brings the most joy to my heart about heaven? He said, it's not the golden streets. It's not seeing angels. It's not even seeing my loved ones. It's no sin. No sin. Nothing to ever separate me from God ever again. No sin. Someday that will come. But you see, you and I can rest in the fact that right now, that that day will come. Now, the plain lesson of all this is that we have in this passage a chain. There is a chain here, one end of which is wrapped around our sinful hearts, and the other is attached to the heart of God. If we are to have joy, we must have hope. If we're to have hope, we must have grace. If we're to have grace and access to the fullness of God, we must have peace with God. And if we are to have peace with God, our condemnation and our guilt must be taking away, taken away, and only Christ can do that. So in other words, here's what it all boils down to. Okay, I'm going to give you my entire sermon in one sentence. Believe on Jesus. That's it. Because when you believe on Him, all this other stuff is ours. It's yours. Forgiveness of sin, peace with God, joy, endurance, and all of this. If Jesus has taken our sins away, then we must have faith in Him. One day our state will be as perfect as our standing. See, my standing before God is absolutely perfect. Did you know that? Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you, how many of you here think that you're as righteous in the sight of God as I am? Well, all of you are. But let me ask you something. Let me go a step higher. How many of you here believe that you are as righteous in the sight of God as John MacArthur is? All of us. How many of you here are as righteous in the sight of God as the Apostle Paul? All of us. Okay? That's good news, isn't it? Well, I'm going to give you better news. How many of you here believe that you are as righteous in the sight of God as Jesus is? All of us. All of us because we are in Christ. Isn't this great? And listen, folks, this is why the Reformation was so important. You know, when I began to study for this, I started to do a history lesson on the Reformation. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to preach what God says are the results. But you see, <clears throat> there was a time, and we're seeing this time come again. You know, somebody, I have a book at home called Why the Reformation is Still Relevant. You know, in, uh, Pastor Burke Parsons, he says, do you understand that today we probably need a reformation even more than they did then? Now, that says something. 
It never goes away. We need it. We need to constantly keep being reformed, going back to the Bible, going back to the Word of God. This is our only standard of faith and practice. Now, you know, every single denomination out there has certain traditions they do. But I want to tell you something, folks, and I'm not saying those traditions are bad. They only become bad when they become equal to this. You know, I remember I was pastoring a church one time, and we had this uh, business meeting, and we had a very important decision we needed to make in the church. So I told with that, that Sunday morning after church, we all discussed it, and I said, okay, tonight we're going to come back and we're going to vote on this. I want you all to be sure and pray, spend the day praying that we do what's God's will in this. And I had this lady come to me after church, and she said, you pray all you want to, but the vote is going to determine what we do. And I have found that to be true in a lot of churches. You pray all you want to, but we're going to do what, what the vote says, because the vote is more important than that. By the way, you know that a majority vote is not always the best vote. There was a majority vote that led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. But what I'm, point I'm trying to make here is we need to understand this. We must stay in the Word of God. We must continue to understand that we have been freely justified by His grace. You don't all know what grace is. That's God giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve justification. We don't deserve joy. We don't deserve free access to God. We deserve hell. The deepest, darkest corner of it. But God, in His grace, in His mercy, in His love, has chosen to, cho to, to call uh, His own out of this world and to freely justify them as long as we look to Christ. We can't leave Him. This is what the Reformation did more than anything else. It not only brought the Word of God, the written Word of God, back to the center of the, of the worship service, but it put the living Word of God back where He belonged on the throne of our hearts. And that's what it matters. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to You, God, for this morning. And Father, as we think back on this thing called the Reformation. We thank you, God, that you raised up such godly men who were bold. Father, who saw a need. Father, that they would bring the Word of God back into focus. Bring the Son of God back into focus. May we today, Lord, understand that Jesus is still to be the center of attention. We thank you that because of his finished work that we can be freely justified by your grace. And Lord, help us, those of us who have been freely justified, to, to understand every single day that we can run to you and not away from you. That we can boldly approach the throne of grace to a heavenly Father who has forgiven us and loves us, pours out His heart, His love into our hearts. 
So, Lord, may we this morning go forth with joy, knowing that we have been reconciled by the precious blood of Christ. For it's in his name we pray.